I'm Laura Gentry Williams, and you're listening to Adopting It Forward. Adopting It Forward allows people to share their adoption stories in order to encourage you wherever you are in your adoption marathon, from bystander to runner in training to participant. Enjoy today's story. Hey everyone, welcome back. I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode with my new friends, Joel and Andrea. I got their names from Ashley and Matthew Mason from episode number 24. Andrea is on the board for the nonprofit Encourage One Another or E1A. Stan and I were privileged to be able to share our story at an E1A event this past Saturday night, and we got to meet Joel and Andrea in person and hug their necks. Andrea also runs a cookie company that we'll hear more about later. These two have four bio kids, two adopted, and are fostering the cutest little chunky baby right now as well. No adoption story is without pain, and these two have definitely had more than their share. Joel and Andrea share about some of the extremely difficult situations they have encountered with one of their children who struggles with reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. So now, please enjoy my conversation with our new besties, Joel and Andrea. Well, hello, Joel and Andrea. Thank you guys so much for doing this. No We're problem. Happy to do it. <laughs> this is really fun. I mean, we've had a little chat before we got started, and we're like best friends already. So, oh my <laughs> gosh, we have <laughs> we definitely have a lot of people that we know for this sure. This has been hilarious. Yeah, I'm like, oh, we know them and them, and yes, it's so great because I love how God puts people together in seemingly very random ways. And this is cool, except you guys aren't actually together right now. What's the story here? <laughs> it's our spring break. And so Joel and two of our boys flew out this morning to go to Arizona to see his parents and some other family and go to spring training as much as they can with oh, COVID. That's right so now. cool. What a cool thing to do. So you've been before to spring training, Joel. Yes, we've gone probably three or four different times, and it's just a blast, the warm weather, and we love baseball, and getting to see my family's a added bonus. <laughs> that is really cool to take your boys. So tell us about yourselves. You love sports. We got that right there. So Right now, I'm a boys basketball coach and track coach at Midway High School in Waco, Texas. This is my second year there. I've been teaching and coaching pretty much my whole life. We could have met each other because you actually coached in Mansfield. I just found out. It's so funny. It's crazy. Y'all had to have crossed paths at some point. Oh, yeah. We, <laughs> here's we were at some training or something. Who knows? Yeah. I'm sure. So, yes. And I actually have two businesses that I run. I'm a real estate agent. And my mom and I have a real estate team together here that we've had since we moved here. And then just recently, about a year ago, I started a cookie company. Oh, oh my gosh. And you guys have how many kids? Six, we try not to say yes. one foster child right now. Yeah, we try not to say it out loud. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming. Oh <laughs> gosh, to no. Actually speak some it. of the people yeah. I know, some of the people I interviewed, I was like, we have 13 kids. And I was like, well, we'll yes. run. Okay. I <laughs> yeah, I, it's amazing. So, okay. yeah. so you have six in your house? Five are in our house right now. One is in Jamaica at a boarding school. He's been there for a little over a year now. But the other five are all in our house and our foster daughter's in our house. So there's six kids in our house right now. Okay. Yeah. And what are the ages of everyone? Our oldest is 19. He's kind of trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And then we have a senior that's 18. And then a sophomore, uh, our only daughter, is 16. And then we have an eighth grade son that is 14. So those four are all biological children. And then we have a 13-year-old. He's the one in Jamaica. And his brother is 11. We adopted those two three and a half years ago. And then we have an 18-month-old foster daughter that we've had since October. Oh my goodness. Wow. We're old and way out of practice. (laughs) 
yeah, I'm like, woo, 18 month old, but, mm-hmm. but yeah. really cute, I'm sure. Oh but, my gosh, like she's the most adorable, most precious. <laughs> They're just hilarious. It just make you laugh. You're just like, put them in the middle and watch. It's just, it's yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. So you guys are very busy. You're both working. You've got all these kids and coaching is busy. I know I've been there, done that. You live in Lorena, which is a small town outside of Waco, which we have mutual friends with that as well. You guys know Laura Menzer from episode 22. I loved her interview. I was so thankful she let me talk her into doing it it was precious a neat story with her it was really crazy when we moved to Lorena you know Joel had known her in Mansfield he was the head coach at Mansfield High School and I was an assistant coach at Summit High School so I knew knew her then and I knew she had moved to a a little she was in Lorena I didn't know she was in Lorena I knew she moved somewhere in Waco that's all I knew And so we were in line registering for the primary school for our little one. And she turned around and was like, Joel. I mean, it was just one of those like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's just been really sweet. You know, our, her son and our, one of our sons were sweet friends um, the years they were here and wish we could have spent more time, you know, with all of our kids and the same with her, just going many different directions, but we always love seeing each other and chatting and mm, wish we could yeah. have spent more time together. Oh no, that's great. She is. She's amazing. And her story was, whoo. And now they're in an even smaller town in Lorena. So yes, <laughs> so seeming to be, do, be doing really well. And it makes me yeah. really happy. Now they do seem like they're doing really well. So you guys adopted, what did you say, three years ago? A little over three, almost three and a half now. Do you remember your first conversation about adoption? What got you started in that direction? This was before we even got married. We talked about, you know, what size of a family do we want? Lots of kids, no kids. What do we want? We both said that we would like a large family with lots of children and uh, said that, you know, we'd even consider adopting. And then after we got married... Our first son was born about a year and a half later, and we had four children within five years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it was fast. It's got a little so, crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Uh, so we really didn't think about adoption for a while just because we were so busy with four little ones at the house. Busy. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to think of exactly when it started, but some along the way of raising kids and I stayed home while he coached and I, we actually started going to, I was going to be a Seth Bible study group mm-hmm. and I met Ashley, my friend, we were in the same BSF group for a long time. And so a lot of our community and friends were adopting internationally and we knew a lot of people. And so that kind of is what put the thought in our head and just kind of watching others walk that road. Yeah. In, in our area up here, especially, yeah. there's just yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. It was happening a lot. Really and awesome. So, Your friend Ash, Ashley is Ashley Mason, right? Who's yes, my new yes. friend now. Yes. And on episode 24, we, we really love this couple. Yes. We'll talk more about their ministry as well with you guys, but go ahead. Right. I mean, honestly, we probably talked about it for about a year and a half and we just couldn't really, I mean, kind of not on the same page, but really feasibly know how we would adopt internationally. I think Joel, I remember him making fun of me one time that like I would adopt all the children one t-shirt at a time you know everybody was doing t-shirt sales to raise money and all that and I bought all the t-shirts and because just you for, know the people right. from the Subi project right I mean you know right. yeah it was just one of those where like it just didn't seem like that that was the road that we were supposed to go down but we had a heart for adoption and that was just you know the only circle of adoption that we knew at that point in time like as far as like adopting through foster care or you know CPS it's really crazy, but never even once crossed our mind. We didn't even know that about that world kind of thing. And so we kind of put it on the back burner. And that's about when I started going to BSF and met um, Ashley, my friend Ashley Mason at BSF. And they were actually in the process of getting certified as foster parents for their first one that they adopted, Callie. And through just friendship, 
told her our story and she kind of said, well, have y'all ever thought about getting certified to be foster parents? And literally, I mean, it's just bizarre, but it never crossed our minds. Like it was never, oh, we could do that too. It just never was a part of our conversation. Yeah. And so as soon as we had that conversation, I knew that's what we were supposed to do. And so I went home and I was like, Joel, this is what we're supposed to do. Like this is, you know, so it was just really neat because we, that's kind of how our friendship developed with her and, and Matthew. And we ended up doing foster care classes together. They were just barely started. So when we were able to get started, it was kind of at the same time. And so, but going through all of the classes and training and just, you know, learning about that world, we really came to the point where fostering was something that we really were drawn to. And so when we got certified, especially having four really small kids at that time at home, we just really had a heart to foster. And so we kind of went into it to foster and to be open to adoption if that's what happened. And, and so you were living up here in the, in the Mansfield mm-hmm. area at the time. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, it just sounds like you were confident walking into it because you were called to that. You just felt like this is a natural progression. You had four little kids. I mean, a lot of people yeah. would say four little kids, you're busy. It's okay for you not to do for anyone else right now. Just. Yeah. Well, I think our youngest Brady, he was four years old when we were going through the process. And so it sounds crazy looking back on it, but it was time to get more kids in the house. (laughs) Andrea saying, you know, I'm done being pregnant, but I'm not done being a mom. And I understood exactly what she meant. And so it just, when she told me about the foster option, it made total sense to me. And yeah, we just both felt like that's what we're supposed to do. And so let's jump on board and get going with it. I think too, like the more that we get to know each other, we're just one of those families that nothing ever really makes sense. (laughs) Like it's, we're crazy and our schedules are crazy. And we do things that from the outside world, sometimes are just like, they are nuts. And we are, (laughs) you know, but from the inside world too, there's (laughs) family, yeah, people in the house feel the same way. Right. I feel like Stan and I always talk about this too. We function best as a family when things are go, go, go. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we talk at the end as well. But I mean, a lot of times if you've got multiple things going on, I'll take this kid here. I'll take this kid here. I mean, you just, yeah. feel, I don't know. We've always been that way yeah. too. Yeah, it flows better. When we're all just mm-hmm. downtime, we're like, well, now what? what are we supposed to do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can relate to that for sure. You know, but I think especially just with, you know, fostering and just kind of the heart to go in that direction. I don't know. We just got to the point where we just couldn't not do it, you know, and even though it doesn't make any sense, you just have to walk that road because that's just where you're called. Yeah. And I called is a really good word. Um, Cause we definitely have been in positions where we're called and it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy, you know, it's just, you walk it because that's what you can't not do it. You know, so because we've That's tried not to for <laughs> in yeah, situations. You can't not do it because, yeah. And the Lord, He uses your willingness. So, what was your first foster situation? Oh, man, we probably have had it was the perfect scenario and probably won't ever have another one like that, um, sadly. But we got a baby that was nine days old that we had for nine months. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say perfect scenario is that the mom and the dad made mistakes, but worked services absolutely perfect, did not miss a visit, passed all the drug tests. There was not a blip in the system that they messed up. And so we were able to kind of develop a little bit of a relationship with them and they were able to get her back and did what they were supposed to do to get her back. And so it was hard and it was heart-wrenching because we loved her. I mean, dearly, we had her from nine days to nine months. You know, we were her family for that time, but we went into it wanting the reunification. Mm -hmm. You know, we went into it knowing we are doing this to be a place to take care of this baby while the mom and dad have time to do what they need to do, you know? And so that's kind of what our heart was. And so we knew at the end that it was going to be hard, but that was what was supposed to happen. Yeah. I mean, that is the whole point really of fostering is the reunification. So that's really neat that they got to do that. And then How many times have you done this fostering since? I mean, how long ago was that? 
That was when Brady was four and he's 14 now. So 10 years ago. Wow. And we had her and then we had a brother or sister that were both four years old. They were twins. Uh, we had them for several months and then they went somewhere else after that. And then we had two sisters. One was 12 and one was two. We just had them for less than a week and a, and a grandparent stepped in and took them. And then we had a four-year-old little girl that we knew going into it that she was going to be adopted by a family out of North Carolina. And we were just kind of a place holder. The mom was 16 and her mom was 16. So the three of them were all living in a women's shelter. And the mom that was 16 voluntarily gave her up for adoption. Mm. And so this family from North Carolina was, was going to adopt her, but there was lots of paperwork and things that needed to be done, a lot of red tape. So we had her for several months while we were waiting for her to be adopted. And so we had six different children. None of them became adoptable, mm. which we, like, so we were open to adoption, but it just never worked out. And then after her is when we moved to Lorena. And I was traveling for my job. I was out of teaching and coaching for a few years. And we stopped fostering just because I was gone so much. We didn't think it'd be good for Anna to do it by herself. And then it was about six years ago that we started our classes again, got recertified, and we took in two boys, two brothers that we ended up adopting a couple of years later. Wow. That's a lot of kids that you had to bring in and let go back out. A lot of people would say, that's exactly why I can't do foster because, you know, I just can't give those children up. Once they come into my home, I, that would just be too hard. You've heard that a lot. At least I know I have. And I tell them, I'm honest. I said, it's, it, that's the hardest part. It is, it's extremely difficult, mm -hmm. but we knew that going into it. That's what we want. Like Andrew said earlier, we want reunification, mm -hmm. even though we love that child and would love an opportunity for them to be a part of our family forever. The right thing is for them to be with their birth mom and dad. Even if we know it might be a hard life with their birth parents, that's what we want. That's what we pray for. Especially if it's a, it's obviously we want it to be a safe environment, you know, but sure. I feel like that's really how God intended it to be. And so it may be messy here on earth, but if it's possible at all for biological to be together, that's really what needs to happen. Mm. You know, if it can be a safe environment, you know, it's hard, but I feel like that God in a supernatural way, prepares you for what he calls you to. And so, yes, it's hard, but I will tell you, like, it changes who you are. You know, it brings you to the place of yourself that it's not about you. And so it, you focus more on what is my job here, you know? And so you don't think about the heart at the end. You think about what is my job today? And you have no idea. I mean, I remember my dad told me one time that it's kind of stuck with me when we had that first foster baby that was I mean, it took me a good three months, you know, I would cry in the bath, oh, you know, for wow. the next three months because I just missed her. But he would say, God called you to that period of time of that brain development in that little tiny baby for that amount of time. And the nurture and love that you were able to provide her for that short amount of time could change her life. It could be what turned her around for her to be able to grow up and do great things that she may not have had. And that part sometimes too, is that you cannot always see the fruits of your efforts, you know, when they leave. You don't know how it ends up sometimes and right. what happens, but we're not meant to know everything. You know, we're meant to walk where we're called. So it does, it changes who you are. It changes, you know, even for our biological children, we were able to even talk to them about what we want to happen. Like it's good for them to be with their mom and dad. Like we walked this road with them saying, we're not trying to take them away from their parents. We want them to do what they're supposed to do. So we get to love on them. You know, we get to be a part of as a family right now, but then we get to see God's intention sometimes when they get to go back. It doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always end that way, but we live in a sinful world and we're not going to see the full circle until we see Jesus in heaven. So, right. Wow. That's beautifully said because 
you know, you talk to different people who have done fostering and that is the whole hope of the foster system. And it is great for these kids to have the security in that moment and a good place to go to transition and hopefully transition back, you know, back home. But if they don't, they're going to transition to an adoptive family or whatever, but wow. That's the thing too, is that it's hard because it doesn't, I would say probably most of the time it doesn't work out like that. And so we do need people open to adoption to be able to take the kiddos, but you know, you have to go into it of that's what you pray for because that's the way God intended it to be. And so we want what God intends, but in a sinful world, it doesn't happen like that sometimes. So then you do kind of like the next best thing, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> right. Ooh, but just your willingness as a couple and your aunt, you guys to be on the same page to say, yes, this is where we feel led to do. And we're stepping into this. We're putting a toe in the water and wherever the Lord leads. I really appreciate you guys doing that. And so many other foster families have done so many great things for these kids. I have lots of foster kids at school. I'm sure you guys have known a lot too. And I watch them with these foster parents and they're just great. I love, I watch these kids change through this school year because they are in a safe environment and it's not perfect, but I love it. So we talked a little bit about someone in your life who influenced you to move in this direction. Since you started your process, what kind of things helped you in hard places? What were some things that you depended on? Definitely our church family. Um, our church family understood what we were doing and they wanted to be a part any way possible. And that's one thing that we really encourage people is they might not be cut out to be foster parents themselves, but they could be respite providers. They could just be prayer warriors and just pray for us and they can, you know, help us out with meals or just whatever. There's lots of different roles in, in all of these journeys for these foster kids. And our church family was huge in helping us in, in difficult times for sure. I would say the other thing that's been really great is just the relationship we've been able to have with the Masons through Encourage One Another. And so that's been, I will say it's been kind of life-changing for our family and the way that Encourage One Another has been able to support us in our journey because it hasn't always been easy. And so um, the retreats that they offer, you know, or that we're able to go to women's retreat and the couples retreat, I'll say the couples retreat has just been really great that they provide for couples to go on. This is a nonprofit that the Masons have started and it's E1A, encourage one another. What kind of things do they do? You said you mentioned retreats. What else? Yeah. Well, they, I know like the, the core group is in Mansfield, Arlington area. And so they do like once a month dinners as couples and as women's groups, they send meals to families who are struggling. It's kind of like there's a need, immediate need as far as like helping respite with groceries. I mean, that kind of thing. But then one of the, to me, the biggest life-changing things is that a lot of these kids, there's a lot of resources, I will say, for foster children. And there's a lot of resources for pre-adoption. There's not a lot of resources for families after two, three, four years down the road. And, you know, I'm having a really hard time meeting the needs of this child and where do I go? Where do I turn? And there's just, there's just not a lot of places. And so I feel like that that was Matthew and Ashley's heart was to create a nonprofit to where they could help meet the needs of families and kids that are down the journey, needing help in order to keep the kids in the home, you know, or families together. A lot of times, I mean, just like us, we've needed help outside of our home. But there's a lot of disruptions that happen because there's just not resources. Families don't know what to do. And then they have this child that has such horrible trauma issues that they want to meet but can't in their home. And so um, sometimes it can become unsafe. And so part of their heart is just to help families along their journey to keep the families together. Mm. And that is... So a disruption um, is... It's like a child who's been adopted, whether internationally or through CPS, foster care CPS. And for one reason or another, they relinquish their rights for lots of different reasons. And then the child ends up back in foster care and just part of the system again. And it's just, it's really sad because I don't, you know, we can be really judgmental to families that that happens to. 
but I've become less and less judgmental to those type of families. Just walking our journey, we know what it's like to feel helpless and need help, but have no idea where to go and need support, but we don't know where to get it from. So I could see how it can get to the point where it would be hard to where you don't feel like you have any, especially if it's an unsafe environment for other children or or that kind of thing. And so I just feel like that it's been just an instrumental organization in our life, just with the relationship with them also just in the way that the nonprofit E1A has been able to care for our family. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard as parents because well, like you guys, for instance, and us too, we we had two grown daughters when we started our adoption process. You guys have four kids already and you're like, well, we've raised, you know, mm-hmm. and you'd had six, you'd had, I guess, six fosters before you adopted. So you were probably like a lot of us were like, well, okay, I'm not a perfect parent, but I can yeah, love a little love and nurture, little security, you know, over time, they'll adapt to and grow to our family and know how it works. And if I just provide the love that they need, and I mean, we just have learned that it's more complicated than that. Doesn't mean that they don't need that, but there are times and circumstances where help outside the home is necessary, you know, in order for them to be able to function with the family unit you know, and be able to grow up and function in the world. Right. And it may not look like maybe what our other kids look like. And that's okay. So you adopted two boys. How old were they when? Five and seven when we started fostering them. Well, let's start from the beginning of the story. When we got our foster license in Waco, I was working at the time. So we felt like that we needed a school age child. We only could take one placement. And so we got a call that basically a five and a seven-year-old were being removed from the home, but they needed a placement for the five-year-old. The seven-year-old had some really difficult, hard behaviors that they felt like they needed to be separated, which is really rare. Most of the time they're trying to keep siblings together, but his behaviors had been severe enough that they felt like that wasn't good for the five-year-old. So we said that we'd take the five-year-old and his older brother went to really kind of like a shelter because there wasn't a family at that time. So he was at a shelter for boys for several months and just wasn't able to find a family for him to go to. And so he was going to have to enter into foster care system, really probably outside of Waco. And so we just really felt that we should be open to taking him. We didn't know anything about him and really had heard just all of his struggles, you know. And so we just felt like the fair thing to do was for us to meet him and get him and his younger brother together and just see how they do. And and so we did several visits to him and it was I mean, immediately they just loved each other. And you could tell that whether it was in our home or somebody else's home, that they really needed to be together. And so we chose to bring him into our home. So they came home. He was, it was about three months after we got, you know, his brother. It took about two weeks. We kind of had a honeymoon period for about two weeks. And then he started to show the behaviors that we had heard about. And it was difficult. It was really, really hard. The sad part is, you know, he was seven. And pretty much raised himself, and he was the caretaker of his brother. So in a very dysfunctional way, his younger brother got the love and nurture that he kind of needed, and nobody was doing that to him. So he was taking care of somebody else, and nobody was taking care of him pretty much his whole life. And so for him to come into a family with all of these other children, with parents that are telling him what to do and trying to create this cohesive, structured environment, I mean, he just wasn't having it. It just wasn't going to work that way, (laughs) you know? And so it was a real struggle, but I will tell you, and I know, you know, our kids will listen to this one day. In the middle of that, God gave us, which is really bizarre, such a love for him that we can't even explain. Like our hearts loved those boys. And most days he gave us many reasons why he was not very lovable, (laughs) you know? So the hard part was we had them for about a year and a half and it was coming up to the point where rights were going to be terminated and that, you know, we were going to be faced with adoption. And I will tell you, I never imagined the way that we walked our journey that we would ever come to the point where the decision to adopt would be as hard as it was. I never would have imagined. And it was really hard, really because we had four biological children and we had these two brothers that we knew needed to be together. And then 
we struggled with, do we have what it takes to meet the needs of the older brother? You know, it was more of that. And I will say, I was of the feeling of like, how do you say no? Like, how do you make that decision? And they were old enough to know what was going on. I mean, so how heart-wrenching is that? Uh, You know, and then the guilt of like wrestling with whether or not we were even going to do it. It was really hard. I mean, there's so many things. And I will say, you know, Joel. Well, we were just on, you know, different pages of whether we should or not. And I wasn't exactly sure that we were the best fit for the boys. We love them. And, you know, we both agreed that they needed to stay with us indefinitely. And just we'll let God's timing work itself out. You know, they weren't going to be adopted on our timing or anybody else's, but really trusted that God would make it clear what needed to happen. We weren't saying no, but we weren't saying yes either. We were just going to be patient and wait for God to make it clear. And we struggled. We had a lot of late night discussions and not arguments, but just heart to heart conversations about what we should do and why we should do it and what we were feeling and, you know, talk with our kids about what they thought. And it was a really hard, difficult time for us. Well, let me say one thing. I wish I could go back. You know, you look back and you just, God puts our husbands as head of our family for a reason. And I was, I mean, my heart was breaking and I wish I would have trusted the Lord more with Joel being the leader of our family. And I I feel like that I caused a lot of hard conversations because I was scared. You know, the thought of giving up these two boys was just, how do you say no? But then I knew the reality of what life would look like if we said yes, or I thought I did. I thought I knew the hard road we were walking into. And I just, I wish I could go back and ease a lot of anxiety in him because I will say Joel has always been the leader and the fact that he was willing to go against what I was even saying to trust the Lord. I mean, he was willing to like go against what our kids were wanting, what I was saying to say, no, I don't have a peace about this. And until God gives me the peace about this, we can't walk forward. And I wish there were moments when I would have just said, I trust the Lord in that with you. Oh, so hard, isn't it? I mean, yes. well, for one thing, motherhood equals guilt. I mean, that's oh. what it is. You know, oh. we guilt ourselves because I'm sorry, baby, you didn't have your lunch today. It's all my fault. Well, it's not our fault. I mean, right. yeah. we, we, we do right. all this to ourselves. But yeah. I don't, you probably haven't had a chance to listen to our story, but, you know, Stan... And I, <laughs> I mean, we have all kinds of discussions about everything. And I'm, I'm always like, I've got this in my head. This is what's going to happen, you know? And, but I love having a godly husband. There's nothing better than a godly husband. Who's like, I am just, this is where I feel like we need to be. And yeah, trusting that sometimes is hard to do, but yeah. the Lord honors it. <laughs> For sure. So, so moving forward in the story. Okay. So we were having these hard conversations, but we knew that if they left our home, that they would probably be separated. And, and we knew the older they got, the more, I mean, it's going to be hard to find a family. It really just the reality to adopt two brothers that were older. And so that's why we just said, let's, we would like them to stay in our home indefinitely until we get, you know, that doesn't always work with the system, but we just kind of put our foot down and that we don't want them to leave, but we can't commit today, you know, of give you an answer today. And so we were just really praying that the Lord would make it clear what we were supposed to do because it was so not. I mean, we met with our elders at church. We sought, you know, godly counsel of like somebody from the outside looking in. Are we not, you know, are we not following what God wants us to do? You know, and and we did. We had some people tell us, well, of course you're supposed to adopt them. So that made us feel even worse that we were having these, you know, heart struggles of what to do. And long story short, I was sitting at a baseball practice in my car waiting for the practice to end. And I get this random email from a coach at the middle school of where our kids go to. And he just basically said, I know this may seem random and I don't even know if this is even a possibility, but I love your kids and I've heard about 
Jay and JD at that point is what their names were. And my wife and I are interested in fostering to adopt and would just didn't know if they were adoptable and would like more information about that. Just really random. And I mean, I called Joel and I was crying. And I mean, it was just one of those of like the Lord, I mean, just leading every step. And when we didn't think it was clear, he brought our hearts to a point to just be quiet and wait and trust him. And he doesn't always give us things like that, just so blatant. Sorry. One thing too, I remember was a little bit before that, they were going to possibly be adopted by another family. And our son told the coach about it, just sharing, not having any idea. And the coach told me, he said, I was really, really sad. And I didn't quite know why that they were going to be adopted by someone. And then it didn't work out with that family. And he said that I was really, really happy that it didn't work out. And I'm not sure why. And he just had to kind of look into that a little bit deeper. I think that's when he sent that email to you. Wow. Yeah. So, and I will tell you, like, it was just all turmoil in our home of just, it wasn't like, oh, here's a family that's going to adopt them. Okay, that's great. I mean, it was all just messy and didn't feel good. And, you know, we're trying to keep things as normal as possible for the boys. And it was just really hard. And I will say like our, and this is an encouragement to people who, you know, have the thought of like, I don't want to ruin my biological kids or I don't want to expose them to things that are hard. Our biological kids did not understand why we wouldn't be adopting them. Right. After we had gone a year and a half of really hard days, really hard days, things, I mean, stories I could tell you that are just hard for kids to have to endure. And then they are still saying that they don't understand why we're not adopting. Mm. You know, they don't see it like we see it. They don't. And just the way that God changes your children as he changes you to be able to prepare them for the road ahead. And so long story short, we actually met with this couple. They were precious, eager, and we were as honest with them as we felt like we could be and were. I mean, just good, bad, and the ugly. And they really felt the Lord leading them to get certified and adopt the boys. And so that was the plan for several months. And so they got certified. Crazy thing is that they actually bought a house down the street from us, which was just another um, detail of the story that was neat. And, you know, I felt like even God gave me that to prepare me for what this was going to look like so we could still be a part of their life, but maybe not the way that, you know, my mama heart mm. thought it would be kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And anyway, the boys ended up going to them. And they were with them for six months. And during that six months, they both worked full time. At that point, I had the, I was able to stay, you know, home a little bit more. And so um, they came to our house every day after school. So it was like we were kind of working together to see, definitely not like a your, you know, average American family. Right. <laughs> but it, it was, it worked. You know, it was a way that we could still be a part of their life, but yet help them get acclimated down there. Mm. And, you know, there came a point in time where the older brother was hard and difficult and even kind of displayed harder behaviors than he did at our house. You know, he just kind of upped the ante of, I don't trust you. And, and of course, can you imagine, you know, it was really hard. And even the guilt of us even maybe provoking that really hard. So, and at the end of, it was about the six months mark for really for the adoption to be coming. And the couple came to us one day and they just... We do not, I will say, we do not blame them for, I mean, can you imagine, you know, the the heart, the crazy thing that we've talked about too is like, can you imagine if they would have gone forward knowing that 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 they couldn't do it? It It would have been horrible. And it was just more than they could handle, they felt like. And it was hard and I I feel bad for them and I felt bad for them. It was just hard all around. It was hard for the boys, but God used that. And and we've even told them at the end of that, that God has used you. Right. A- that did not accidentally happen. No, not at all. And honestly, that's what had to happen in order for God to bring Joel to the point that he knew they were supposed to be a part of our family. Wow. And so that really all happened for us, you know, and Sadly, this couple had to endure a lot. And I do, I feel bad for them because it was hard. It was hard on them and they just felt horrible. But 
that was what God used in order for us to know that they needed to be in our family. Mm-hmm. And so when that couple told us that the boys were back with us and there hasn't been a day since then that we didn't know that God placed these mm-hmm. boys in our family okay. and we love them something fierce. Well, right. And do you think like, Joel, did you see from that with the boys, did they appreciate and know like, oh, wait, this is my family? Yeah, I think a little bit of that, you know, when they came back to us, it was just, it was natural for them to come back. Like I said, we were still a part of their life that whole six months. And I don't know if they ever stopped thinking of us as kind of their temporary Mm -hmm. family, you know, and then once they knew that they weren't going to go back with their biological family and we told them that, you know, we wanted to make them a part of our family. They were both very, very excited. And, you know, we told them that their last name was going to change to Smed's Hammer. And I remember the younger one said, well, I, do I get a B name too? Because our four biological uh-huh. kids all have names that start with the letter B. And uh-huh. so we talked about that and we said, well, do you want us to give you a name or do you want to pick your own name? And he said, I, I want you to name me like a baby, like a newborn baby. And so we got to pick his name and we uh-huh. told him that it was going to be Brooks and he absolutely loved it. And he's been Brooks ever since. Okay. So, yeah, I think that they jumped on board pretty quick when they got back to this is now going to be their permanent family. Oh, well, I mean, that process, if you you said that at the beginning, like, hey, we're going to, you know, go this way and then you're going to come back this way and everything. I mean, that sounds like a lot of bouncing around that. But I can see how that process is perfectly in line with the way things needed to go. They appreciated that, like, oh, that was great going over there, but this is my family. Even our kid, because we adopted our kids when they were older. Our daughter, Betty, she's like, hey, mom, when we get back from, from Uganda, I want to live with Aunt Lou. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> are you kidding me? I stopped it yeah. in Uganda all this time. I'm like, you know, we're <laughs> this year's staying in our, you know, but yeah. to them, they're like, well, that's what you do. You just move around and stuff. And so I love that they, that really, I'm sure it solidified things in a lot of ways. They didn't even know that's what was happening. Right. Yeah, it really did. And, you know, even for us too, and for our biological children, I mean, being able to watch the process. And I feel like that God even allowed that six months with them over with this other couple for us to kind of prepare our hearts for what was to come, you know, because we were tired and worn out and a little crazy, you know, and not thinking straight at times. And it allowed us to be able to just get some rest and, you know, just enjoy our biological children with just being our family for a little bit and knowing that God preparing for that to happen. Wow. We don't have any idea what we're stepping into when we adopt. How do you explain to people this is what adoption is? I mean, you really... It's just the stepping out there. You know, I I really feel like, because I will have people, and I'm sure you do too, that come to you and they're interested in adoption or they want to know more about foster care or what, you know, kind of like they're intrigued by it. And I just really feel like that, you know, God calls us to a lot of things and not every family is called to adoption. I mean, there's hard things about the journey, but just like anything, you want to have a heart that's willing to walk in the way that the Lord calls you, you know? I don't feel like that adoption is like a glorified calling, you know, above any other calling at all. It's just what he's called our family to. And I will say that you just, you commit to the call no matter what, Mm -hmm. like no matter what. And you know for sure that you're called to it because the journey will bring you to places that you never thought you would ever have to, (laughs) you know. And it will, honestly, it will reveal your own heart in ways that you are terrified to even know that you're capable of doing that or feeling that or saying that. I will tell you, I have never known I can be so ugly and hateful and awful (laughs) before we were faced with just the hard parts of our journey with adopting. And so that's a whole nother layer that you have to deal with is your own sin in all of this. And sometimes it does feel like too much. You know, it does feel like, did we really make the right decision? Or is this really what we're supposed to be doing? Because I will say not everybody's journey is, 
you know, as hard to the nth degree. There are some beautiful stories where kids don't have necessarily the neglect and trauma effects that other kids have. And so this is our story, you know, and I'm, that's where I try to tell people too, is that I can only tell you our experience and what my heart is in it. I can't, what I say, you can't think that that's going to be how God's going to unfold your journey. That's why you have to walk in what he's called you to do. And if you feel like he's called you to walk and love on children that need a home, then you wake up and you take one step at a time and you deal with you have to what you have to deal with that day. And you pray that he'll prepare you for what he has for you tomorrow. Because there are days that it's too much. There are days that the overwhelming feeling of the weight of what you wish you could do, wish you could fix, you know, mm. and, th- and I think that's another hard part too, or, you know, is that you can't fix it all. Like you're just called to walk the road and you, there will be things, there are holes in my, you know, our adopted children that we will never be able to fill here on this earth. Stan and I, even tonight, we're like, we've had our kids almost eight years and we're like, why do you think they do this because of um, trauma or because they're just teenager? Mm-hmm. We have that yes. conversation all the time. <laughs> and I would say yes and yes. You know? right. It would be both. Yeah. Joel, is there something that you have gone back to and been like, this is why we're doing what we're doing? Have you had something in the, your journey that you would say, remember this right here? Well, yes. The main reason we just felt called that this was what we're supposed to be doing. But more specifically, the reaction that we've gotten from our own biological kids and how this has changed their hearts. And I remember when we told them that we weren't going to adopt the boys, that they were going to go to a different family and they just boo-hooed and I mean, shed tears and just didn't understand. And like Andrew was saying earlier, even though it was so difficult and so hard for like all day, every day for a year and a half, they still didn't understand and just cried. And then, you know, six months later, when we told them they were coming back to us, how excited they were, told them that we were going to adopt them and just, oh, they, they, you know, just to see their growth Mm and Oh, in, in all of this and to see that life isn't all about us. Mm. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to walk this road, you know, in their future, if they're going to be foster parents or adoptive parents, but mm-hmm. we've seen just tremendous growth in them throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I, I look to that as, you know, outside of what we're, called to do ourselves and how we've helped, you know, these foster kids, but just what it's done to our own biological kids and their lives and their perspective on life has been great. Well, you know, they didn't ask for this, you know, they didn't ask for this road. It's not their calling right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's what he's called our family to do. And they just happen to be, you know, in our family and yeah. And so one thing too, just as an example, not that long ago, our senior this year had to write a little paragraph about his hero, one of his heroes. And he wrote about his two adopted brothers, that they were his heroes. And we've had the conversation many times that, um, and you know, every family is different, but in our family, we've had the conversation that there will be nothing that you go through talking to our biological children, nothing that you go through in your lifetime that will be as hard as what they have had to overcome ever. You will always have your biological mom and dad that love you that are here. Tragedies will come, but you will always have this safe haven to come back to. And theirs has been completely stripped from them. And so there's nothing that we can say that will be harder than what they have already endured. And they're only 10 and 13. And so to pray that God will give us grace upon grace upon grace has got to be our prayer often when things get hard because not to excuse, but that's what God calls us to, right? We're, we're learning how to lay down right. our and life. And get all those little, then get those early little things to make them yeah. feel safe. I mean, we have two grandchildren now and I just look at the differences and all that they've already had this just safe world that they came right. into and loved and cuddled and read to and, you know, it's just right. so different. So this show is called Adopting It Forward. 
How have you seen what God has done for those of us who are believers play out in your adoption story with your kids? You know how God talks about how to lay down your life for a friend. And I feel like that through our, he teaches us, and I feel like all of our journeys in ways, but in our journey, our adoption journey, that he has taught us that, but it points us back to he gave his life for us. And so even the idea of like nothing that I will go through in my life compares to the sacrifice that has been done for me. And not that I owe him anything. There's nothing I could give that would merit what he's given me. He just freely gave it. I love how you talked about, Andrea, how you had this overwhelming love for your boys when I'm just only guessing you haven't detailed any of it, but I know what I've been through and how, you know, our kids don't always go, oh, I, you know, thank you for bringing, mm-hmm. you know, like, what are you doing? You know, why am I here? I don't even want to be here and all this kind of thing. And the Lord gives us a love for them anyway, because he loves us so much. And yes, the love that we have for our kids, that is supernatural. We, we don't, we don't know oh, do that. There have been many days, the more that we tried to love the more backlash we would get. So yeah, but, oh, I can't even explain. You you know how it is. And that's the thing is that when, even when people just out of not knowing, talk about, I don't know that I could love a, another child, or I don't know. I will say when you adopt, it's different than your biological children. It's, it's very different. The relationships are different, yeah. but I will tell you my mama bear for my right. adopted boys, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, is something fierce. Oh, and yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, and just the love that you have for them, for their story and for it to help them try to navigate the trauma. I mean, it's almost, I mean, it it brings me. Yeah. Because I've always said we take on their pain, all the things that they've been through, we take Mm -hmm. it on, we walk it with them in a lot of ways. How about you, Joel? What have you seen? Well, just that, I mean, God's in control of all of this, that none of this journey surprised him at all. And, you know, when we're uncertain about how things are supposed to look and we try to figure out in our own mind, it it usually doesn't work out that way. And, you know, we thought it was just, oh, this this couple came through and just this perfect story of how they're in the arena and, you know, they don't have any other kids. They can give all this attention to them, which is what we thought they needed. And they're going to be right down the road and we were still going to be a part of it. And we just thought, oh, this is just perfect. God couldn't have written a better script and then for it to totally, you know, not work out that way. And like I said, none of that surprised God. And so just, you know, trusting in God that he's going to provide exactly what you need when you need it. That's, that's what I've gotten from it. Mm -hmm. Well, even he even uses our like tiny finite minds that don't, can't see his, you know, his big story and try to manipulate things like, oh yeah, this will be better for them or this will be. And he uses all of that. You know, we can't thwart his plan. We can't mess it up. You know, he's sovereign over all. Thank God. And he uses our stupidity sometimes to bring us back to him. And I think that at the end of the day is to bring us back to Christ. And I, and I will say like in our journey too, there are days that we have, that's the only thing that we have is to know that God called us to this. That's it. There's nothing from this earth that at times that we can look at and go, oh, you know, they've responded this way. And so, you know, that's why we adopted or, you know, there are days where it's like, you know what? The only thing we have to go off of is that God said, do it. And we did. So thank goodness that that at the end of the day is all we have to trust. You know, that's all there is to trust. Sure, sure. No, that's that's really good. Thank you. So my theme for the year is hope. Where have you seen hope in this weird COVID pandemic year that we've, we're almost a full year. We're almost, well, our spring break starts next week. You're at your spring break, but we were on spring break on the way home when this all, you know, kind of blew up last year. So where have you seen hope in this year? Just recently with the winter storm that came through a couple Mm -hmm. weeks ago. Yeah. How everyone was so helpful to anyone that needed it people out you know delivering water or firewood or food and groceries or you know people getting stuck on the side of the road and strangers coming to help and i just think that 
there's still a lot of good in the world. This has been a really hard year to see it, you know, with all the political mess that's been going on and just mm-hmm. society and culture and everything. It, it just feels like there's not a lot of hope. But just that week alone, you know, I saw all yeah. sorts of different examples. I was really uh, proud of Texas that week. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, uh, for sure. Yeah. People just yeah. stepped up. It was it was really yeah, just people reaching out to help each other. I saw a lot of hope there. Mm, no, that's that's really good. How about you, Andrea? One thing that when you said that, it just made me think our family is crazy busy. You know, everybody's going in 50 million different directions and we're literally every day. OK, who are you taking where? And, you know, who's driving here? You know, all that. And when the, you know, pandemic happened and yeah, we kind of all shut hard. down, oh my goodness, <laughs> like an absolute before. screeching halt. And I will say that God was just good to us. We had family wiffle ball night um, at well, wiffle ball games, like every single night, like we had to do something sports, you know, you know, we were all in the same, the same house and our older son would say, meet you out at five and, you know, text us all. And we would meet out in the field and have football games every single night. And I would just say, just as a mom, it just gave me so much hope that there will be a day that we really all enjoy being together and spending time together. (laughs) You know, or there, you know, we just aren't all together all the time very much anymore. And it's just, it's sad, but there's just a lot of us. That was just such sweet family time that just gave me hope. You know, we're all in different stages and we've got lots of teenagers and, you know, just the parenting adult children. And it's just a lot. We have a lot of hard stages and it was just fun Mm. and to be able to enjoy each other like that. I love that. Yeah. The first month or so I we have we had a blast. We had so much fun together. (laughs) And then suddenly it got quiet again. It was like, yeah, they're all in their room, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, we definitely got to the point where we were all over each other. You know, it was like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a blip in time. But I'll take it. We'll take it. We know it's there. It's in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys. Um, So what is something low key that you make high key? I have a bunch of them because I'm a little OCD about certain things, but. I know we were kind of talking about this because Joel and I are so not type A people. Well, it depends um, on what it is, you know. Yeah. A couple things. One thing that is funny with lots of teenagers is that we go out to lunch after church every single Sunday together as a yeah. family. And yeah. literally that might be the only family all together meal that we have, but you can't go to lunch if you don't go to church. <laughs> oh, so, yes. No, I, yeah. You can't like sleep in and then meet us for lunch later. Uh, you know, it's like, no. Buy your own, drop through somewhere else, bud. You're, you're on your own. <laughs> yeah. So that's just kind of like a little, like we've kind of routine that we've gotten into that, um, that we do. I'm that's trying to think. Good. Yeah. No, you know, we, good. we love sports it's like 30 for 30s, you know, so there's, there'll be, if a new one comes out or there's a new, like the whole, you know, my Oh, I know. Our girls text us. Did you see the 30 for 30? Right. Yeah. So those are type of things that we love to watch together as a family, you know, so not a big deal, but it's fun for us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How about you, Joel? Do you have anything low key that you make high key? Um, I was thinking about that. And, you know, one thing that I, I'm a big list guy. And so with our busy lives and schedules and going this way and that way, I, double and triple check with Andrea all the time about who's going where and who has this child and who's picking up them and who's going to that practice. Well, I mean, you might leave a kid somewhere, so you got to be careful. Yeah, we've, we've done that before. (laughs) But I know there's, there's times she gets frustrated with me. It's like, we just talked about this last night. Do you not remember? I'm like, well, I just have to make sure. Say it out loud <laughs> one more time. <laughs> yeah. He's got like a chart on the fridge, you know, of who, what day, who has what. And I appreciate it. I do. That is good. Yeah. Because I'm like, I've got it in my head. I don't know. I actually bought a paper calendar this year, which I have not had one in a really long time. So I have it all on my phone. It's my phone. It's fun. And that's been good. I, yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. List making. Yeah. I don't know how you keep up with that many kids. You guys, this was great. This was awesome. I really appreciate that you guys are involved in the E1A. I want to get involved in that as well. 
Um, I'm going to um, put a button that people can donate That'd on be great. the website and tell us about the cookie barn. Yes. Okay. Cookies. Oh my gosh. I love Yes. Um, well, it, honestly, it was just kind of random. My oldest child was going to play baseball at a junior college in Oklahoma and had to raise some money. And we procrastinated like we do every time. And we have this cookie recipe in our family that we make all the time. It came from Joel's mom. And so I just told Bo, I was like, Hey Bo, how about I just make my oatmeal cinnamon cookies and we can sell those, you know, we're on a time crunch. We had like a month to raise this money. And he was like, sure, that's fine. So I just did a little post and, you know, put that he was selling these cookies and I sold like 150 dozen in like two and a half weeks. It was crazy. I was, we were so appreciative. He raised all the money he needed, you know, Um, (laughs) awesome. But really just the encouragement from friends were just like, oh my gosh, these cookies are so good. You could totally, you know, have a business. And we were sitting with my brother one day and he was like, well, hey, I'll be in business with you. And and honestly, I, I don't have like extra time. It wasn't like I needed something to do, but we weren't necessarily fostering at that time, but we always wanted a part of our life to be supporting. And I just had the idea of like, hey, what if we do this cookie business and part of our proceeds goes to E1A because they've been such a blessing to us. And it just kind of evolved. And now we have our own commercial kitchen. We have our website that we ship to all over the United States and we deliver locally. We have a pickup location, but then we also we're strictly online. So I don't have a storefront or anything like that. But yeah, it was, it's really just been crazy. Where do you make all this? Okay. Well, we have a, we have a commercial kitchen and that even was just kind of like a, it evolved. We had, when we started the launched our website, we actually launched our website. What Joel, wasn't it like the week we shut down a week I mean, before yeah. a week before we shut down last year wow. and we were like, Oh my, but it was actually really great. Cause we, um, you know, lots, we were considered essential so I could still bake. We had several people asked if we shipped and, I mean, Laura, have you ever bought cookies online? Like I had never like actually gone not, and done it. But I'm going to put your website on, <laughs> I'm going to tag it on. I was like, Hey, let's all Perfect. Let's go. I'm, I, know. I'm I didn't even know it was a thing, you know? And so we kind of went to the process of like, how do you ship cookies? And now we probably ship more than we deliver locally. I mean, it's really crazy. So God has just really blessed it. It's kind of done its own thing and who knows what the future holds. But yeah, we've been able to support E1A in that way. And it's been really fun. People have really responded really well and just, you know, loved it. So again, the cookies are really good. So, well, I'm all in for this. I looked on your website. I was like, heat these up, drink them with a cup of tea. I mean, I'm I'm all over that. So it's called the cookie barn. And um, I love the parcel proceeds go to E1A and yeah. So, and they're going to be having an event here in a few weeks. Yes, I know. And she told me that you guys will be um, speaking at, and I know we would love to come down for it. So I hope it works out. I know that I can like meet you in person. Yay. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much for doing this. God bless you guys. Y'all are just amazing. All that you've been doing and are doing. I appreciate you guys doing this. Well, thank you so much. Guys, I love this conversation so much. I appreciate Andrea and Joel sharing some of their extremely hard places with us. The path God took them on from a foster situation to adoption is a story only God could orchestrate. I could totally relate to the pull of comfort, guilt, sorrow, maybe a bit of relief when it looked like another couple was adopting the boys. I'm thankful for how Joel shared his change of heart and how their bio kids felt compelled to keep these boys in their family, even through the horror that they'd witnessed. God has a plan in mind for all of us as a family unit. I've been praying for all of them, and I hope you will, too. When Stan and I were privileged to share with some of the E1A nonprofit families on Saturday night, we were convicted by how these families have and are enduring unimaginable trauma with their children and teens. Yet they chatted with us easily and even laughed at how, even though things are scary with some of their kids, they love them and only want what's best for them. Okay, you guys really need to try some of Andrea's Cookie Barn cookies. I ordered the sampler. 
I mean, I consider myself a true cookie aficionado. I prefer my cookies in dough form, of course, but these are delicious. My faves were the oatmeal cinnamon, chewy and yummy. Stan says you can't go wrong with chocolate chip. James was in agreement on that, but Betty and our next door neighbor, Kate, absolutely loved the chocolate cream. A portion of all proceeds go to E1A to help an adoptive family in crisis. These are truly cookies with a purpose. Sure do love you guys. Hope you have a great week. It's one of my family's favorite time of year, March Madness. Of course, my bracket is blown to bits. Right now, my son-in-law, Ron, in Seattle, is winning our family bracket, but anything can happen. My Aggie women are still in it. Until next week, let's all keep adopting it forward. Thank you so much for listening. Can you do me a huge favor? If you're enjoying the adoption stories, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode, which drops every Wednesday. It would also really help if you could leave a positive review. Five stars if you've got them. Do you or someone you know have an adoption story to tell? Please reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or through our website at largeentrywilliams.org. You can also find our show notes there. Today's show was edited by Will Rice. The whole thing was put together by my favorite guy, Stan. The website, largeentrywilliams.org, is managed by Leslie Serrano. Unconditional love and occasional mischief provided by Golden Doodles, Gus, and Coach. Thanks again for listening. Let's encourage each other as we are adopting it forward.